0: G'day there, everybody, and welcome to this episode of the Military Mindset for Business podcast. And today I've got Aiden Parsons from Keystone Executive Coaching. And I'm really inter- interested in talking to Aiden today, particularly about his experiences in going into business himself, but more importantly, how, as an executive coach, does Aiden really support business owners reach their full potential? Now once we hit those glass ceilings of our own success and our limitations how does Aiden get in and look look at business in a totally different way and be able to you know unleash that potential and take the business to where it's uh, truly meant to be
1: so Aiden welcome thanks thanks Pete great to be here great to have a chat with you mate it's always fun this time we're recording it of course so we, uh, we are we on our best behaviour I'm sure of course <laughs> of course mate uh, of we, course, we always literally-
0: we do have a little E with the box around it for some of our guests, but uh, you know, it's up to you how we roll. But mate, look, I'm really happy for you to join me today. And you know, you're someone that I've, you know, had fringe relationship with over a few years. We've both been, you know, co- common consultants and uh, and and shared advisors around certain entrepreneur bodies and but mm. I've always really admired the way you're able to understand business, capture problems and solve them. But before we get into that, um, obviously, there's a twinge of an Irish accent there. Can you tell us about the Aidan story and, and really how you got to Australia and how you got to be in business here?
1: <clears throat> yeah, well, let's, let's, let's start at the beginning, you know. Um, so so uh, I'm an Irish Australian. So, oh. so um, my mother is Irish, my father's Australian. And at the age of seven, uh, we basically, me and my five siblings grew up with, uh, with mom in Ireland alone. So we grew up in this very rural area. Um, it's called Leitrim. There's still no traffic lights in Leitrim. And my mother doesn't have internet, basically, where she lives. Um, so it's very rural, but a stunning place. So um, from the early days, you know, I uh, just, just, you know, got on with it. Uh, and then from there... Uh, you know, went to high school, uh, did very well at rugby, got some rugby scholarships, helped a lot with the, the family position and sort of how we were progressing. Um, and then at the age of 19, I came to Australia to find my family, find my father, um, learn more about my Australian side of my life. And in the first week, uh, I landed in Australia with the intention of doing a, a thing that all, Australia, you know, young uh, Irishmen do when they come to Australia, which was to travel around and see all the different things that Australia has to offer. And in the first week, I met my wife uh, and I've been with her ever since, ever since I was 19. So, um,
0: this is a pretty significant uh, life event. Had Did you have a relationship with your
1: father at this point or had you no, met many times? No, so- not at all. So my father left when we were seven and we didn't hear from him until I turned 18. Um, wow. Uh, yeah. So, and there was a lot of like challenging things that happened in that period, Pete. Like my mother had a, um, so five kids under seven. My mother had a, with a, a truck um, and had a, a pretty severe injury, brain injury. So from the age of maybe like 13, there was a lot of responsibility thrust on, on everyone, you know, not just me, but on like my aunts and uncles to sort of keep the house going while mum recovered. And mum recovered very well. But by the age of about 16, 17, you know, she's back on her feet again. Um, but, yeah, so so we kind of I think a lot of my resilience and my willingness to to kind of grind through things comes from that period of my life, you know, getting up early and doing things to make a bit of money um, to keep the wheels turning. So, so um, as
0: as a young young boy into a young man growing up, in Ireland, how did you feel towards Australia, knowing this being half Australian? You know, was there some kind? What was that affiliation like in terms of the Australian culture and
1: lifestyle? Yeah, so that's such an important question. I so if I was in Ireland, I would support Australia. Um, <laughs> so it was a, it was predominantly because they were better at rugby union then. <laughs> they were like, like those days Those days, could have, those could have
0: gone. Those days so, may have passed, but there was a time.
1: There was a time, you know, and I'd a- actively, you know, be looking for an opportunity to declare my Australian heritage. But I, I always just sort of had an aspiration or a thirst to know about Australia, you know, because I always did feel Australian, you know. I, and I feel like, because I did live a small part of my life in Australia, so I did feel Australian. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I, I kind of just wanted to explore it. I just wanted to know it. I also wanted to track down that part of my family and understand that side of my family more. Um yeah. When
0: when you arrived in Australia though, um, you know, the classic Irish story is like eastern suburbs of Sydney or you know, potentially a, a trip up to Byron <laughs> Bay, but you ended up in like was it Roma or Charleville or right, somewhere right.
1: Like that? Western Queensland, yeah. Western so, Queensland. So I, this is not the classic like, story. No, it's not the most uh you know picturesque place to go. So I ended up finding my so I found my dad, he was at in Western Queensland in Roma, he was working there. Um, as a, uh, he's working in the mental health services, funnily enough. And so, well, good place to start. I got a job on the gas fields. Um, I was just going to be a laborer working in the gas fields. I had very little experience <laughs> at, at all, um, but uh, practically none. But turned up and the job that I had lined up for myself had since evaporated. Um, so, I handed out some resumes and I got a job in a pub called the Roma. What was it called? The Club Hotel, Roma. That's right. Wow. And I was a glassy in there. Um, and that's where I met my wife. She was a barmaid at the time. Um, and we just hit it off. Just had a great time. And then I had to make that decision. You know, I was like, oh, gosh, okay. Because I had a university degree to pursue back home in Ireland. It was international commerce and Japanese. Um, and then I was here and I was like, well, I really like this woman. Um, so I called my mom and I said, hey, I'm probably going to spend... A year, maybe more, here with them, and see how we go. So, um, so that happened. Yeah.
0: This is starting to sound a little bit more like you know a classic irishman's You know, come to Australia, yeah. find a girl, fall in love. I'll just stick around for a little bit. You know, I'll just for stick around bit. for a little bit. And and here we are. How <laughs> many years later?
1: Oh gosh, two thousand six. So six, ten, sixteen years almost. Is it sixteen Mate. years?
0: Gosh, it is. Yeah. Get some time yeah. up now. Get some time up.
1: I've been Um, here more than
0: I've been there almost in Ireland. So, yeah. So you're out in the gas fields. um, You know, you've met this Aussie girl, uh, probably playing a bit of rugby for the local club out there, I imagine. Yeah, yeah, of course. Take us through to where you started getting passionate about business. You know, what what took you through from that point (laughs) into like understanding how you could actually, number one, learn about business, let alone ever becoming an executive coach?
1: Yeah. So, so for me, I really didn't discover business until a bit later. So I came to Australia 19 and my whole intention, because I had experienced such financial insecurity, my pursuit of financial security was quite strong as a young man. So I was always working. I was always seeking a way to make a buck. Um, and I, but I was really craving like stability. So, so I went to university in Australia and I studied to become an occupational therapist. Um, and I did very well and I graduated and business for me at that time in my life, business really didn't hold the security that I wanted. Um, so I actually graduated as an occupational therapist and I became an occupational therapist in mental health services and did very, very well, like was was like phenomenally well trained and did phenomenal work. Um, but when, you know, fast forward to the age of about 24 maybe even 24, maybe 23, I remember I was looking around at my peers and I was looking around at the the future of being a health professional, um, which is not a bad future. My wife is a health professional and it's a great profession and a great career. But I could see very, very quickly that it was going to not reward me in line with my efforts. So the harder I worked and the more efficient I became would not create more wealth for me. It would kind of get me more responsibility. And that's when I realized I needed to almost like step out of the pen, the secure pen of like, you know, a good employment structure with great superannuation, all that sort of stuff and get into the world of like, the harder I work and the smarter I work and the more money I can make for other people, And the better value I can deliver for other people, the more money I will make and the more security I will make as an individual. So I kind of needed to jump the fence and get into the wilderness of of the commercial landscape to fight my own corner to, to kind of like feather my own nest. So, so I actively started investing in business, invested in coffee shops, invested in gyms, you name it. Yeah. It's such one of those crazy oxymorons about
0: human society that, the sometimes the harder you work, the less successful you get.
1: Uh, particularly yeah. in
0: healthcare, you know, my my business partner Maddie, is always like, "Oh, you've done every job in the world." But I was a personal care worker in nursing homes when I was about nineteen or twenty. I was, yeah. you know, growing up in Katoomba, it was one of the only jobs you could actually get in a small town. I was like, yeah, I literally saw that in the paper. I thought, how hard can that be? And I did it for several years. But uh, some of those most important jobs, you know, just recognizing healthcare workers out there. You know, particularly over COVID, they've done they put their lives on the line, literally, um, for yeah. sometimes minimal reward. Minimal reward, but again, coming back to business, it's about this massive like conviction to say, oh, "I just see a different pathway, and I'm just going to have crack."
1: Yeah, yeah, and like, like, don't get me wrong, um, a, a huge part of why I couldn't continue as a health professional was it was to be very honest, it was probably just too hard. Like it was very, very hard. Like the burden of, of, of working in that way and and the the emotive cost of caring that much for so long was very, very challenging. And I knew I just wouldn't be able to sustain it over Mm. time. So I had to find another way, you know, and I hats off to, I look at my part, my wife, you know, and she works, she works so hard and she cares so much Um, And I just know for a fact, I would not be able to be the type of clinician I would have wanted to be if I stayed. So, and you're right, like jumping, jumping into that world of like, into the deeper water of like, well, now I'm going to find a way to feed myself um, was kind of my only option. Mate, I want to come back to something um,
0: you mentioned a couple of minutes ago, that your first connection with business was investing in businesses, not starting mm. in businesses. Did I mm. capture that right that you actually weren't the key player, driver, operational person, but it was more of an investment strategy because this <clears throat> seems to come full circle in your, you know, maturation of your model at the moment.
1: Yeah. So so essentially what I'm very what I worked at very early on. Is that i'm i i'm a very good executive like I'm, a, I'm i function in an executive way very very well so from the beginning the safest way for me to sort of test my you know test the temperature of the commercial landscape we could say was to was to give money to friends and partners and opportunities to fund the development of of their vision and then support that business as an executive so support it from a strategic perspective a link perspective an execution perspective so you know, I'm not a PT. I'm not a. I'm not someone you probably would ever want to be your PT. Um, but in saying that, I can facilitate the growth of a gym very, very well. I can facilitate. I know nothing about coffee, but I can facilitate the growth of a coffee business incredibly well. So that was my first sort of foray. Yeah.
0: And I, this is one of the reasons I wanted to get you on and talk to you today, because there is going to be so many essences of military mindset that come out in the in what you do here. And the first mm-hmm. one, is I call it, the general's mindset. You know, and in the military, like there's um, all respect to any rank, no matter you know, private, you know, corporal, you know, officer, whatever, it doesn't matter. But it's all about the mindset of your role. And you've got people mm-hmm. who are actually doing things. And the general's mindset is how we you know, command, lead, strategize, and give direction for how to support others to be the best that they can be. So this this is really early on in business. You, you, the epitome of that general's mindset of, I know I don't have to be the master of this, but I can
1: guide and support you for you to be your best. Correct. And I would see myself and still do myself, see myself as a catalyst. It's like um, you can hammer nails all day or you can use my nail gun you know, it's that kind of like facilitation of an accelerated result. So um, and that, that's just from functioning it, <coughs> pardon me, from functioning as as an executive. So um, so yeah, so that was kind of the first way. And then realistically, I had an executive coach at the time. Um, and I saw how much we we're paying. I was like, holy moly, we're paying this guy some money. And I was like, I'm sure, I know I could do better than this guy. Like, I was like, yeah. I was like he's great, but I was like, I, look, if that's the competition and that's what he's paid, I'm going to work. So then I quit and I started Keystone, started Keystone Executive Coaching. So yeah. um, pushed into predominantly sort of like tier one executive coaching. So we're talking like large corporate slash sporting organizations, did some work with the AFL, the NBL, um, the NBA actually. Um and then large mining companies, blah, blah, blah. So always around that executive coaching gotcha. process, working with employees. Yeah.
0: And we've just got to be careful here, mate. I'm an NBA Nut San Antonio sports fan. And I don't know where you're on the world, but it's uh the NBA draft uh sorry, the NBA trade <laughs> deadline closed 21 minutes ago. So I have to hold myself back from going down, down an NBA <laughs> rabbit hole. Um so but it's again this this quest um to elevate yourself, to be operating in your higher space and empowering people to do that. So Mm. Keystone, the first part of Keystone advising corporates, um, where did the business go from there in terms of going from corporates into business owners?
1: Yeah. So so for me, it was quite clear. Whilst I was good at the corporate executive coaching stuff, once again, I was like, "Mm, the efficiency isn't there for me. I'm not getting the sharpness because... Most executive coaching relationships are set up in this, like, client-sponsor-coach scenario where you have someone paying someone else to receive coaching. So the level of investment and accountability is kind of variable depending on the situation at hand. Also, sales cycles are longer. There's more hoops to jump through. There's, like, you become unable to influence things the way you need to influence them to get the outcome you want to because you're a you're, you're not in the driver's seat necessarily. So it became very clear to me that executive coaching, whilst I was good at it, still wasn't going to give me that efficiency and scale that I was aspiring for um, in business. At, at that point in time, I also had friends, peers, networks from footy coming to me and saying, hey, can you help me with this? Can you help me with that? And these guys are small business owners and I'd sit down and just kind of give them my knowledge, fix some stuff for them. And, and they were like, you know, you, you know, you're pretty good at, you know, directly working with me in my business.
0: I hired a business
1: coach myself who will remain nameless. Um, And it was horrendous. It was not a good experience at all. And it was kind of a repeat of the executive coach relation. I was like, man, if this is the competition, yeah. I and mean, this is what they're getting paid. I'm going to work. Um, Yeah. One of the things I always like
0: to unpack, particularly in a business owner's journey, um, is your own worthiness in terms of how mm. you feel about the quality of, of your product and your offering. And it's something I really struggled with in the first couple of uh, years of our business, even in terms of like me selling, you know, we had to do a lot of outbound. Cold core selling in the in, in the our first in the business.
1: Beginning.
0: It was brutal, but it was extremely lucrative. Um yeah. now, now I can you know do it with a plum, no problems. But this mm. worthiness around particularly in your role of being a coach, how did you like really empower yourself to be able to stand there and confidently, really confidently be like, I'm really good at this stuff, you know, like I yeah. really own this space and you should listen to me.
1: Yeah. So a huge part of that for me is evidence like if I have a body of evidence that can show that I can do what I say I can do I have no problems with with anxiety or or concerns around that so at that point I had been successful in both the coffee shop and the gym um, and we kind of exited those and I had also I think I had worked out for myself that there's no so sometimes when people feel like that, right, when they feel anxious like that, they're like, God, I need to know more. If only I know enough, then I'll know I'm good enough. And i had worked out that it's actually not, in, in growing a business, it's not what you know alone. It's it's very rarely is it just what it is do, that you know. Like if it was just like realistically, Pete, if it was just information, um, we would all be trillionaires, you know, because we have access to whatever information we need, you know, like it's all available, It's the right information at the right time with the greatest rate of return and the least amount of effort that compounds return in business. And I knew that that's what I was very good at. I was very good at like synthesizing different priorities to scale things quickly and safely and profitably. So I had a nice body of knowledge behind myself. I had a lot of evidence, but really the thing that kind of took all the heat out of that equation is... I, I asked myself the question, okay, you're going to go do business coaching now, you're going to let this executive coaching stuff go, what would you want from a business coach? And at the time, all I wanted was someone who was going to have a financial stake in my success. I was like, if, someone, if I'm going to pay someone thousands of dollars every month to grow my business, they have to have financial accountability for that. They have to be invested in the financial growth of my business as well. They don't need to invest in my business, but whether or not they get paid needs to be dependent on their performance. And that was my model of business that I came up with, where it's this pay-on-result business development. So, you know, we don't charge our full fee unless we hit the targets we tell you we're going to hit. We hit over 95% of them. So for me, I think that also took the pressure out of the situation because I didn't need to convince anyone that I was good enough. I was able to show them that I'm good enough, you know, and and I was able to do the things that got me paid, you know. Um, And also the last thing is I have yet to see another business coaching firm, advisory firm or consulting firm that's willing to put skin in the game the way we put skin in the game. I just don't see them. There's, yeah.
0: there's no greater confidence in um I'll deliver first and then I'll take the rest of my payment later. Yeah. And that's yeah. just it's just pretty black and white. Like if I don't deliver, I won't get paid my full amount. So I'll I'll deliver. Yeah. It may
1: and it also like I kind of take pride at like so I learned a lot of this from being a therapist, right? So like if someone comes to you for help, that's a phenomenally sacred position to be in. And I use the word sacred sincerely. I'm like, if someone says, hey, Pete, you know. Whatever the context, like, people, I'm having some trouble with my wife or people, I'm having some trouble with myself, you know, I need some help, you know. That's a phenomenally important, it's such an important position to, to hold for someone. And the capability for people to abuse that position, is it's endless. It's endless for people to use that to ill gain, you know, that, that vulnerability that someone shows. So for me, I, I knew that if I always prioritized like integrity, authenticity, honesty, suitability, all the all the things that I know if I live my life a certain way, I will live a good life. If, I live, if I'm honest, I live a good life. If I'm integrous, I live a good life. If I'm disciplined, I live a good life. If I could translate those fundamental standards of being into a business model, I knew the business model would be successful. So if we just play it out, someone comes to you to help grow their business The first thing you do is you make sure that you can actually grow it. So you assess the business deeply, and then from assessing the business deeply, you make a recommendation. And if I so if let's say that I assess the business and okay, I think I can grow this business. So then I set a target. If I think I can grow the business, right? If I put my hand on my heart and I say, you know what, I think I can improve this business really, really well. Um, The first thing I do, the first thing I do is I do everything I possibly can to support the growth of that business. Mm. And cash flow to a business is oxygen. So it makes no sense at all for me to charge large, lumpy, cumbersome fees to clients because I'm just going to absorb cash flow and stymie their growth. It makes no sense at all. So minimize the impact drastically on cash flow, grow the business, and get paid after the fact. And by comparison, it kind of makes the concept of not doing pay-on-result business advisory madness. Like when you think, of, well, you're not really helping the business. You know, you're kind of just you're helping yourself, and if the business gets helped, so be it, you know. That, that's. So I always upset people when I talk about this, but the truth is the truth, you know, like it is what it is. Mate, I just want
0: to come back to your point there in terms of your initial analysis. So just give us mm. an idea, what sort of size business um, do you normally come come into impact with? You know, the, uh, Where's the owner on the journey? Roughly how many people have they got, a, got on the team? Not so much product, but more mm. what's
1: that business looking like and what is holding them back? Yeah, nice. So we really like, we're not too worried about size. We're worried about potential for impact for us. So- yeah. We often find if there's like an executive structure or a board structure, we can be impeded with our strategy sometimes because there's more hoops to jump through. So if there's like a CEO, directors of marketing, directors of such and such, you know, it's not that we won't work with them. It's just that our rate of return might be slower um, because there's more people to get around. Our ideal is probably the bloke or lady that's in the business um, they've they've done the hard fight to exist and they know what they need to do to keep existing. Like they could continue to exist indefinitely. Um, they're facing challenges around like consistency of lead flow generally, or they're facing challenges around recruitment or staff or you know, that sort of stuff. And really they need to start to transition this business into functioning like an asset. Um, they know that they want to make the business something that, Functions independent of them and gets getting to that position where they can kind of step away and look at the dashboards, look at the processes, make strategic decisions so that their business keeps growing. That's our guy. Oh, it's day. interesting that there's a couple of these
0: key thresholds and it's almost like another digit. You know, sometimes it's hard to make your first 10 grand in, in, in <clears> a business. And, you know, <clears throat> and, then, and then from there we really grind and then we get across the, then we get across this 100 grand thing, which is really when you put a business on your back and, you know, just yeah. do everything yourself. And then and then a million dollars, 000, 000, chucking another zero on there is another big glass ceiling because we've probably got now three or four team members. We're doing 60 to 70 hours a week. We're still spreading ourselves across the business, but we haven't taken the shift, as you mentioned, from being it all about us as a business owner to the asset, which is a system and a structure by itself. Yeah. And it's it's at that probably million dollar mark where you know like could you go on a holiday for a month and the business run without you and probably grow without you it's yeah. probably not going to happen but as mm. we punch through that grass ceiling you know systemized structure um now we can start creating really what we want out of you know the probably the reason we went into business in the first place for
1: yeah yeah hundred percent like it's it really does seem to float around those numbers that you're talking about as well like the guys that we really ring the bell for are, they come to us between $300,000 and $500,000 a turnover, not necessarily very profitable. And they'll walk away firmly in the, you know, the seven-figure domains yeah. and taking holidays, working six days, sometimes a couple of days a week. You know, um, Yeah.
0: It's, yeah, it's a fascinating thing about, and one of the challenges that when you get the business owner at that point, I'd like to ask how you have managed some of these challenges—is battling the ego. So I think first of all, they're not going to. Come, well, you put your hand up and ask for help, which is probably why they come to Keystone in the first place. But how do you manage these—the battle of egos—to really let go? Because for you to have that, you know, multiple seven-figure business, it can no longer be about you. It can't be about you.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, so there's there's a couple of ways that we get around it. So. I think me being a very well-trained clinician helps me a lot in this. So my specialty was in mental health. So understanding the function of humans has really helped me a lot, and then obviously helped the advisors that I employ a lot, blah, blah, blah. So we kind of, maybe we have an edge that way. I think there's a couple of things. The first thing is that we're both accountable to the success of the business. So we're accountable to it, and the, the business, owners are, business owners are accountable to it. So, you know, we're not gonna get paid if the business owner is not embracing the challenges of their circumstances, you know, and generally ego presents itself in the response to fear presents itself in in response to control or a need for control. Right. So we try not to treat behaviors. We don't manage behaviors. We, we treat the need and the behavior dissipates. So if someone is like very um, resistant to something, almost always it's because they don't understand it or they don't see how it's going to integrate into their future beneficially. Or, or in some instances, put, you, put my hand up, they actually have a better way that we need to uncover as well. So we're very like, um, I'm a big Brazilian jiu-jitsu guy and it's not, you can't wrestle a business owner around to a decision that happens. You have to always work with them to find the most efficient path of least resistance. Um, Very similar to Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. If you're going to go in and, like, wrestle someone as hard as you can, you're going to run out of energy and lose. Um, So so for us, it's a method of, like, really building on the sense of a partnership and working in partnership together to to find the way that works for the client. We can't come in and say, "Uh, Pete, so this is what you're doing. Start hammering. You know, get to work. That that just never works. Like it just doesn't work. You know, it's great. So let's check in every week, let's have high frequency phone calls, let's have high frequency emails, get us involved in that recruitment conversation. Let's talk to this strategic partner together. It's a very partnered approach so that we're both progressing together. Um, yeah. You mentioned control before, and and this
0: is where I find is one of those critical moments of being able to let go. If you don't have control, then it, you know it's all about you, or you can't l- let go. It's because you're not in control. Uh, mm. And there's a couple of things I always feel that are lacking when you don't. You feel like you're in this state of flux and don't have control. So number one is consistency. If you yeah. don't have consistency in what you're doing, which uh, for me the definition of consistency is capture excellence and repeat. Just do that. Yeah, just nice. find something that works and do it over and over again until you learn. And then just do that. Um, the yep. other part of it's visibility. So if we can yeah. de- deliver consistency, which is good process, good structure and visibility. Now I know my team is doing what I want to do and I can see that they're doing it. Now I can let go. Yeah. In, in terms yeah, of that- where, when you're coming into these businesses that are, you know, just chomping a bit to, to cross that seven figure threshold. Which part of the business do you find that they you know, are struggling with? Is it is it really understanding their, their cash flow? Is it, you know, you talked about generating leads, sales, operations. Where, where do you find the most common, you know, you know, chink in the armor is? It's
1: it is very much case by case. You know, like, for example, in construction, like if we pick if we pick an area, like in construction, um, most construction guys don't sell. They just give quotes. So in whatever sense of construction they're in, they don't don't really sell. They don't don't engage the customer in a process to help the customer trust that they're the right person to get what the customer wants. So for them, you know, nine times out of 10, if they want more profit and they want more growth, they just have to learn to sell in a really systemic, repeatable, consistent way. Um, And like, for me, sales is not pushy. Sales is like the most natural thing in the world. If it's pushy, you're not selling, you're pushing. Um, if you look at health, often for health practices, it's bringing commercial accountability, It's management, management structures and systems that bring commercial accountability, because health professionals are motivated around helping people. And there's this dichotomy that they face of going, you know, if I'm making money from someone, I'm not helping them, I should just help them, and then the money will come, which is kind of true. But also, if you're not commercially responsible about how you're helping people, you're just not going to help people for very long. So, so it's bringing in those structures of um, visibility and consistency and, and, and simple management even to ensure that when you're helping people, you're helping them not just for helping sake, you're helping them in the most efficient way possible to get them the best possible outcome whilst also progressing and expanding your brand of care because you're financially stable. So often when they're at that level, it's a sophistication of one of a couple of systems that's absent. And the reason that that sophistication doesn't exist, Pete, is because the person is still doing it themselves and they're kind of like spreading themselves too thin. And this is where I think your offering in Trust the Process. is such a wonderful plugin because it really helps. It just helps bring normality to what can be complex systems of execution in business. Um, in a really reliable, trustworthy, and critically appraised way, you know? Um, So, yeah. And other than that, probably the only other thing I'd say is, like, you can have the best strategy in the world as a business owner. So I could give you the best possible strategy, right? I could write it all down. Whether or not you do it is entirely up to you. So Mm. for me, when business owners start to treat themselves like the business owner they need to be, to grow their business instead of the business owner they are, things change. So it becomes a management of self thing. So if I want a $10 million business, I need to manage my business like a $10 million business. I need to have a certain approach to our marketing, have a certain approach to our management. Small businesses stay small businesses because they behave like small businesses. Small businesses that become big businesses behave like big businesses. So often you can get very far when you come down to that management and leadership domain for a business and you really support them to not do what they've always done but do what's going to make them into something they want to be, like any professional athlete. Yeah. Yeah, Like I think that's really insightful. And, and one of the things I always come
0: back to, again, with the military mindset is planning and how we get from A to B. How do we get from six to seven or seven to eight figures in revenue? and one of the lessons that i, I really learned um, early on in the military and it was it, it's it's an interesting process we have what's called current operations and that mm-hmm. is all about today's revenue cycle it is about um it's about getting the next sale doing the next job delivering the next product um rostering the next team member putting the next invoice out getting paid so current mm-hmm. operations it might be you know from a zero to 3 months into the future kind of space And that is where 95% of business owners get stuck. But in the army, what we did was we had what's called future operations. Now, future Mm. operations was run by a totally separate team. And that team would build out the activities or the plans that would occur from 3 months to 12 months away. So, for example, a new product line, a new activity. And they would literally go through and complete all of that actions. And when it was ready to hand over... They would then give it to current operations to deliver on a on a daily mm. basis. But then even further to that, we we actually called it planning. And you know, plan and planning is what happens, you know, a year or two or three into the future. But there's things mm. if I don't do them today, like for example, if I want to expand to the US or, you know, maybe franchise the business one day. There are something that there are some things I need to do today. And if I don't do them today, they will never occur in 12 months' time. So it seems yes. like getting you on board is really a way to almost have that future operations and future planning to allow the business owner to continue in current for a while so they can focus mm-hmm. on what they're good at. Is that, is that a way that you would see how you support looking into the future?
1: Yeah, it's, 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 it's supporting them to make the transitions into what they need to be. You know, we're a catalyst for their progression. Um, and also we're a partner in their progression. Like we can't, we can't, we would never be successful if we just tell people to do. Like we have to help them do it all the time. Um, and we kind of like doing that as well because we're helping them. We know we're progressing, right? So so um, yeah, I think you've captured it very well. It's, it's supporting that transition to what they're going to become. Like we're the catalyst for their growth.
0: It's funny, it's something about business. And again, coming back to ego, um, there's a couple of things in life where if you don't get lessons or you don't get help, you're probably not going to be good at it. Like so yeah. golf, mate. Like golf, for example, yeah. you know, like <laughs> I don't know, you it is impossible to just turn up and play a good round of golf. Even after yeah. hundreds of lessons, it, for me, it's still impossible. Um, skiing is another one, right? If you go mm. to the mountain and think you're gonna jump on a set of skis or a snowboard and be any good, it's just not gonna happen because sometimes yeah. what a coach teaches you. Is the exact opposite of what you think. So, for example, golf—you've mm. actually got to take a big chunk out of the ground to make it to make the ball do properly. Or skiing. What really surprised me until I got lessons was if you do what you naturally think you want to do and get close to the mountain, that's exactly what's going to make you fall. You actually mm. have to lean away from the mountain for your skis to gain traction. And, and obviously, this is coming from someone who's only graduated out of Milo Club. <laughs> um, so. But again, in business, um, a lot of the time, it's something that we don't ask for help for. We just, we're good at something. So we yeah. think, I want to work for myself instead of for the man. I'm going to be the man. Yeah. So And then we go into a, but it's business is a whole different art itself than yeah. the, what you are delivering operationally.
1: Absolutely. Yeah.
0: How have you found, you know, like um, the impact on people's lives by being that coach mentor? to you know really open their eyes up to what they never even
1: realized was possible uh, that's probably the best part of it to be very frank so like when people work with us Pete they work with us for very long periods of time you know like we transform their business we work on yearly contracts right but like people just work with us pretty much indefinitely because every year we're kicking goals and moving forward you know so if i'm going to be very frank you know we see like we see guys and girls who who come to us and they're People generally leave it too late. <laughs> there's one thing I'm like, people probably leave it too late. You know, yeah. So there's a big lift in the first six months. They come, they're exhausted, they're tired. They've generally spent money on something else like us that didn't work. That's a very common theme is that like, I spent money on this thing and it didn't work. Um, and they're like probably six to 12 months away from like really having a very hard way of doing their business. So to- you self-combustion. Yeah. They'll just, just kind of burst into flames. Um, to like, you know, fast forward to one of our clients sold his business for $29 million. You know, we, yeah. we started working with him at 800,000. You know, I went to a client's wedding um, in November and it was fantastic. You know, like he's, he's been able to create this beautiful bu- series of businesses now that facilitates a way of living that it's magnificent for him, his wife, and his son. So we kind of get this opportunity to, you know, one of our clients bought a Ferrari recently. It's been his dream car for forever, you know, like, and, um, but holiday, home. you know, I, I suppose what I'm trying to say is like seeing people, they feel what they want. Like people kind of know what they want that to be in the future. They know they want their way of yeah. living, like right? they want freedom and they want, um, have enough money to be able to live a certain way and the freedom to live that way as well, seeing them realize that, like seeing them progress towards that and then find the next thing and the next thing that they're going to pursue, like that's a deeply, deeply rewarding uh, craft that I think, you know, if it was for me, if it was just about money, like, if I just wanted to make money in business um, I just would do other stuff, you know, like there's plenty of ways to make money. But being able to work with people to transform the way that they live their lives and their business helps them live their life um, is great. And like all my clients, I would call them all, you know, very dear friends. You know, they've all, I've been to their weddings. I know their kids. You know, they know my kids. It's a very healthy way to work over time. Um, Yeah.
0: I've got a real simple analogy to how effective you are as as a business owner on your journey. And it's all about what you do after dinner on the weekends. Right. Um, yeah. If you're doing administration in your business after dinner on the weekends, or you're doing something in current operations, you're rostering staff, you're doing invoices, you know, you, you're mm-hmm. planning the next week's, next month's activity. Then there's something fundamentally wrong with what you're doing because that time should be reading, health, exercise, kids, sleep, anything yeah. but business. Yeah. Again, yeah. on your weekends, you know, business, um, it can be a cruel master. You know, and once yeah. you are committed to this path. It's very, very easy, 60, 70, 80, 90 hours a week. Yeah. Um, and if you feel that you're in this situation, uh, it's like you're going down to the golf range and wondering why the balls are going left, right, and center. So never center probably. Never and center, yeah. So, so reach out, find a mentor, find a coach, find somebody who's been there before you and um, you know, park the ego and try and get a bit of a hand here. Because you can't mm. self-combust. It's for your, for your own health, for your own sanity, for the sake of your kids and your family and friends. Um, ask for help sometimes.
1: 100%. And it's like it's, it's, there's, you will never do any harm asking for help early, but definitely do harm asking for help late. Yeah.
0: You know, it, It's yeah. so hard to undo it. You know, where do I find mm. the time to save the time, to spend the time kind of, kind yeah. of things? I think one of the things I really um you know in when we apply these kind of lessons to business we've got to really you know try and find these like anti-grind or work hard once kind of mentalities you know how do we actually mm. capture things we'll work hard once to deliver a solution, a solution to avoid me from having to be in this constant grind but again I'll, I'll keep coming back to that point is um in my first business we did we did super well you know we went from zero to multi seven figures in you know 18 months um mm-hmm. however we left millions of dollars on the table because fundamentally we did not what we were doing we just had a crack mm-hmm. we got i would say lucky uh bit of good luck bit of good management but um you know i really wish that we'd spoken to someone in someone at the right time early and again mm-hmm. i think that's one of the things that um that I'll take away from this is really don't be afraid to ask for help early because once you're, you know, dig up, you know, once you've already done the dig, dug the deep hole, it can be hard to get yourself out of to find the mm-hmm. capacity and the change to make the change in your business.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And like it's so often, so when we, so, so of, of course now I own multiple businesses, right? And some of those businesses I own in partnership with my clients, the ease with which you can build a business from the ground up, if you build it the right way, is like, is astounding compared to the first, the first time, you know, like that yeah. coming at it from that repeatable, plannable, critically reasoned business development process, just, it just expedites that, you know? Yeah. yeah. And I'll it. just, I'll just caveat what
0: I was saying before. If you are, In a deep hole and you are doing 78, 90 hours a week, it's not too late. So don't not ask for help because it is down the end of the day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But in reflection, if you're if if you're sort of anticipating where this business is going in the future, again, particularly if you've got family and particularly um, you need to focus on your health and being a great human because life is more precious than business. You know, business should be the vessel. That allows us to get what we want out of our life, not consume our whole life doing this thing called
1: business. Yeah. I love it. I love it, man. We say the same thing. We say that it was like your business is just a vehicle for your life. Like how you build it and how you drive it will dictate where you go and how the journey is, you know, like, so build the right type of vehicle. Yeah.
0: yeah. Let's get you to the point Um, where after after dinner on the weekends, you have the choice about what you do. Now, you might choose to sit up at night and do some strategies, some planning, or maybe even you know, think think about putting that new business idea into life, but it's about a choice to, to want to do it rather than must do it after dinner because everything will fall apart if you don't do an extra four hours. Yeah, afterwards. oh,
1: God, yeah. God, oh, yeah.
0: Mate, tell it's us, comforting. how do we find Keystone Executive Coaching, mate? If people want to chat to you, how do they find you?
1: Easiest way is just Google us. Um, we do have a pretty, you know, our, our social footprint and our digital footprints always increasing. Um, but we're not in it to be the biggest. Like we're not, we don't want thousands and thousands of clients. We want to make sure every client we get, we get a phenomenal outcome with. So our growth trend is pretty conservative, um, but our results are very, very positive. So, the easiest way is just find, it. just Google us, Keystone Executive Chain, or just call me directly. You know, like I, I'm always free, like I'm not working all the time. So, I'm always available to just even pick someone's brain, pick over a problem with someone, see if I can help. Always happy to help.
0: Perfect. I'm going to put the contact details down in the show notes as well as, um, you know, LinkedIn connections. It's Aiden, A I D A N Parsons. Mm-hmm. So, look, Aiden, a real pleasure um, to have a chat with you today. You're one of these guys that when I, and we do cross paths and we get into a yarn. It could just go. We need to do one of these oh, for fire, fireside night chats, mate, with a couple of whiskey.
1: Yeah, whiskeys. I'm 100% <laughs> into that. Yeah, nice big slab of a uh, bone steak or something. It'd be good. Oh,
0: love it. Yeah.
1: Um, My biggest takeaway from
0: this is you know, the value of coaching and the value of mentorship. Again, why do you expect to go to the ski fields for the first time and think, oh, I'm just going to nail this? Or, you know, like... Yeah why do you think you could turn up at a golf course for the first time and ever even think you're going to like be successful? So finding the right partners and the right people to, uh, I'm going to leave on a final word, be the catalyst to your success. You know, if you don't have that catalyst, that's the spark that'll really take you through to the next level.
1: Mate, thank you for joining us today. It's been great to be here, Pete. Thanks for having me, mate. Good to see you as always.
0: Yeah. Brilliant. And thanks everyone else for uh, the episode, Military Mindset for Business. Do that click, like, share thing. Uh, This is Pete Liston. Out.